Welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks, Deaf Berries and CPS. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. I am your co-host, Andrea Parker, and I'm joined with... Jim Staros. How you doing there, Miss Parker? Or I should, wait, 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 I should say Dr. Parker. Yes, Dr. Parker. I'm Dr. like you now, Jim. We got two doctors in the building. Oh, oh, doctors in the house. Double doctors in the house. Double doctors. Nice. I like that. Hopefully that makes the show run smoother. It better because, you know, we're able to ascertain things, analyze data even better. Look at that. And we're using the big <laughs> words and everything. We're all, we're all professional <laughs> and stuff up in here. All right. Yeah, so how you been? We haven't been in up in the show for a long time. I know. It's always something going on. Always something going on. And every time it's time to do a podcast, something else comes up and we just don't get to it. But I think we're going to be back in business now, Jim. I hope so. Because I, I know we're we're starting to talk about have, doing a series of episodes on all these inequities that are in CPS and how they're really underfunding the people who need this this type of services the most. I know. And the irony is we got all this money from COVID over a billion dollars, almost two billion. Almost so, two. And so with that, hopefully these inequities can be eliminated. Well, they should be able to be eliminated. I mean, they are eliminating jobs downtown. So, you know, we got everybody <laughs> quitting downtown. Janice quitting. Tanya McDade quitting. Yeah. How, did, how does the CEO quit after getting a $40,000 raise? There's something going on. I don't on. know. I, I worry about that because whenever the any other company in the world, the top three people resign within a week or so of each other, mm-hmm. that, that's a problem. They, they know something's coming down and uh, it's not a good thing. Not a no. good thing, Jim? I don't think it's a good thing. You don't think it's going to spend more time with their families and just find better opportunities? I find that unlikely. Maybe it is. Maybe it is, Ms. Parker. Maybe you're optimistic. Dr. Parker. I'm sorry, <laughs> Dr. Parker. Doc. Yeah, that's what my son calls you now. What up? He calls me Doc. I said, okay, well, I ain't going to argue with you there. Nice. So we got some good guests today. Yes. Um, We've got some guests. They are working with our deaf and hard of hearing population in CPS. It's a population I did not know was that underserved. I had no idea about this until I started talking to some of the people that work with them. And I was at a loss. I had like, damn, that can't be that bad. But when you hear it, you're like, wow, this, this can't be happening, not in the third largest school district in the country. I mean, there's some such easy solutions to these problems that apparently nobody seems to care about that much, at least nobody that's in power in CPS. Um, well, and, you know, hopefully, you know, when we hear these guys, we're going to find out some issues, find out some solutions and maybe we something we can do going forward. They're going to tell us about some of the issues and concerns there are with the deaf and hard of hearing population in Chicago public schools and some of the potential solutions to these problems. We are here with two wonderful guests, Kelsey Cavanaugh, an American Sign Language interpreter, and Krista Valencia, a middle school teacher of the deaf. How are you guys doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having us, Jim and Andrea. Yes, thank you all so much for being on the show for I think our listeners really would love um, just to hear about what do you all do and just the um, issues that we're having with CPS in reference to our deaf students and our hard of hearing students. So maybe you can start off with giving us some basic vocabulary demographics on the topic to help us understand the issue better. 
So like, for example, like how many deaf students we have in CPS? Any number that I give you right now is going to be like an extreme guess. I, I think that kind of speaks to a, a bit of an issue in and of itself. Um, so I've been providing services for deaf and hard of hearing students in CPS for 11 years. Um, as an American Sign Language interpreter, I go into the classroom with the student and I facilitate communication between deaf and hard of hearing students and then their hearing teachers and their hearing peers. Um, and I've been doing that for 11 years in CPS and I have no idea about any of these numbers. Um, and Krista and I actually work with the same population of students and we've never met before. So we don't really get time to collaborate with each other across the district, which would be really helpful given the very specific skill set that we that we all possess for this like very specific group of students that we work with. Um, but if I had to ballpark, I would say it's at least a couple hundred students, uh, maybe between two and 300. I know we have four, I think four high schools that have programs. And then we have five or six elementary schools that have programs specifically for deaf and hard of hearing students. But then we also have students throughout the district that would be in their neighborhood schools with maybe itinerant teacher services um, and interpreter services in their schools. Wow. We have all these trainings and PDs for regular ed teachers throughout the district. And you guys are saying you never have time to collaborate. Like it seems like it would be even more critical on an issue like this that's super specific to only certain teachers, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm at a school where I'm very lucky that I work with a large team of people. So we have three teachers of the deaf at my school. We have seven sign language interpreters, several other deaf staff members that work with our students. Um, so I have that time to collaborate with, with people, but there are lots of other interpreters and teachers of the deaf that are the only one at their school and they don't they don't get that opportunity. So how many teachers are there that serve this community of students? That's another good guess of a question, <laughs> estimate question. Like Kelsey was saying, we have about four or five high schools with cluster programs and about six elementary schools with cluster programs. Um, and that really just depends on the number of students they have um, at each program. So my school is an elementary K through eight school, and we have three teachers for that entire population. Deafness is considered a low incidence disability. Um, so compared to other Reasons why a student may have an IEP, uh, deafness is is one of the least common. Lots of people do have hearing loss, but um, to have a hearing loss that impacts your education from a young age um, is is pretty rare. To be born deaf, um, also pretty rare. However, most individuals who are born deaf are born to hearing parents, and in that instance, there's a lot of grieving and, and unknowing um, that goes on that can lead to a lot of confusion and, and it can um, definitely impact the direction of that child's life. Low incidence meaning not a lot of deaf students compared to their hearing peers. Yeah, and I see how you said that um, most deaf students are born to hearing families. So that means that most families don't sign and a lot of our students, they uh, receive a great deal of communication in sign language in their schools. So how is this um, lack of teachers and program impact the family communication with students? Wow. Yeah, that's a big question um, because you're, you're really touching on the heart of, of a lot of our issues here and that, and that lies in the communication um, because deafness does um, create a barrier to communicating within the hearing world. Hearing families who happen upon deafness and their children have a lot to learn and unlearn 
about deaf culture and how deafness can impact a person's development. As a deaf and hard of hearing teacher, I spent a lot of time learning how exactly deafness impacts language acquisition and use for children and how that language acquisition and use can impact their social emotional learning, their socialization, their behavior. And all of this took years to learn and lots of um, immersion in deaf culture. And these are things that a lot of parents don't have the time or resources to learn. It is kind of a a knee-jerk reaction, I think, of any human, of any parent to, to protect that child and try to give them everything you can to make them successful. Typically, those hearing parents, the first person that they talk to about their child's hearing loss is a doctor um, or an audiologist. And doctors and audiologists love to solve problems and fix things. And so it, it is often the case that the doctors and the, and the audiologists will kind of push a family toward what we call oralism or an oral route. And that focuses a lot on um, speech and listening. So um, giving a child lots of speech and language therapy, a lot of auditory rehabilitation. This is where children are given cochlear implants at a very young age. That is a surgery that is irreversible and it places a, a device inside of a student's head <laughs> that uh, bypasses the hearing organs that are inside of your ear and goes straight to the brain. These are all strategies to set the child up for success in a hearing world where um, written and spoken English are the main languages um, that the student will be used to be evaluated on and communicated with. However, deaf children, in fact, all children, <laughs> Um, benefit from the use of sign language. And I think maybe Kelsey, if you want to speak more about this part. Yeah, I think I, so I work in a high school and because this approach of oralism is, is pushed um, early on in, in life for children, um, it works for some students. It's very successful for some students. They can, there, there are students that are deaf or hard of hearing out there that, that, you know, go through this oral approach of education and can totally integrate with the hearing world. There are still some, you know, obviously some deficits and some setbacks, but it works for some people. But American Sign Language is part of a larger culture that is deaf culture that I see as a high school sign language interpreter. Sometimes kids that come to us that have only been trained orally are missing that piece. And they're kind of in between two worlds then. So they're like living in this hearing world because that's how they've been trained to speak and to use the, you know, the hearing that they are able to use. But then they come to school where I work and they see this like rich culture of like students that are using sign language. And we have adults at my school that use sign language and they don't feel like they're a part of that. So they're kind of in between two worlds. It sounds like a lot, or at least part of what you do is you're almost like counselors for the parents, for the families, because being deaf impacts the family, not just the student itself. You know, what you're talking about is trying to educate these families into this oralistic approach to it is okay, but that's not the only way to do it. Maybe not even the best way to do it, and to try to convince them otherwise is kind of going what Krista had said earlier, our first instinct as parents to protect our kids. And if there's a surgery that can quote unquote fix it, well, let's just do that. Let's fix it. We can fix this. It doesn't need to be fixed. It, we, need, we need to figure out strategies to make us successful. 
Absolutely. That false dichotomy can can lead to kind of an oralist versus total communication rift there. It, it doesn't need to be that way. We can offer students a, a wide range of communication modalities and, and expose them to sign language without hindering their English language acquisition and use. In fact, giving them that sign language support can help them build their English language acquisition. So there, there really is no downside to teaching American Sign Language from the beginning. Um, however, it is a challenge. If you don't know the language and if you have no connection to deaf culture, the deaf community, it is really intimidating to learn. And, you know, I know a lot of parents are working really hard and trying to provide for their families. So there, there's not a lot of time to, to learn an entire language on the side, you know. So yes, Jim, as you were saying, as a teacher, it is it is partially my role to try to bridge that gap. So I work at a school that has previously been labeled an oral school, and it was an oral school when I accepted the job there. But throughout the years that I've been working there, I have been working really hard to bring deaf culture awareness to my school community and also to my students who had been going through an oral program and didn't really have an opportunity to dissect and understand their deaf identity and how that will relate to who they are as an adult and as a person who has very specific needs. The way I came to this issue is I was talking to a another of your colleagues in my capacity as a field rep about something totally different. And they said that there are no substitutes for when the sign language interpreters are absent. And you know, at first it went over my head. I'm like, okay, there's, you know, everybody has trouble getting subs, whatever. And then, you know, of course it took me a minute to get it like it frequently does. Andrea will tell you that. But, you know, um, Chris is talking so much about how we've got to integrate this into the whole classroom community. But then if there's nobody there to do the job, how can that possibly work for these kids? So the kids are sitting there waiting for this total communication approach that we've been working on for however long since we've been there. And there are no substitutes for this. And this is what's first got me kind of woke to this particular issue. I didn't even know it was an issue to be woke to. And now now I'm all mad. How are students placed in these programs? We said there's only a few across the city, but obviously deaf students across the city aren't concentrated in certain neighborhoods. How do we place these kids in these programs effectively that's going to be best for them? Yeah. So to clarify the issue of subs for sign language interpreters a little bit and kind of the impact that that has on our students. Um, If you think about a teacher being absent, like just a regular classroom teacher being absent, um, if you can't find a sub, like the school administration is going to find a place for those kids to go, right? And they're still able to freely communicate with their peers, to communicate with whoever the substitute is or whoever's standing in with that. Um, But when a sign language interpreter is absent, class goes on and it goes on whether or not there's a substitute there for us. And when that happens, our students are in a classroom with no ability to communicate with anybody. They've completely lost the ability to learn for that class period or sometimes the entire day if it's you know an elementary school where there's just one interpreter that's with them all day. It's tough. I think we have five substitute sign language interpreters for the whole district and many of them because as an interpreter, you can either kind of work in education or you can work in freelance. Many do both. Um, freelance meaning working out in the community. You see the sign language interpreters on all the press conferences now. Many of the people that are our substitutes for CPS are also freelance interpreters. So if we don't 
let them know in advance that we're going to be absent, they've taken another job already. So those five interpreters that we have, they're not available full time. Um, we only, I think we have one sub that's available full time and she's a retired teacher. We have tried to get retired interpreters to be able to sub and found out that it is not legal to do that. It's um, because of you're not allowed to like double dip, so to speak. So you can't retire and then come back and sub, which would be awesome because then there would be people that would be available. But um, that's an issue for, for another day. As far as placement is concerned, best I can tell it's based on their location where they live. Um, we have several schools that are on the South side. Um, the school that I work at is like in the West Loop, kind of centrally located. There are schools on the north side. And so it's like if the students live north, they go to the school on the north side. If they live south, they go to, go to the school on the south side. And for me as an interpreter, the problem with that is that um, we end up with students in the same classes that have very different language needs. So as an interpreter, I can use American Sign Language, which is like a unique certified foreign language that has its own syntax and grammar and does not really correlate to English, or I can use like a more manually coded English sign language and some work better for some students. But what happens is I will end up with a class of students in front of me that are a handful of both. And then what do I do? Like, then I have to just kind of find a middle ground um, and nobody's really getting exactly what they need. And so instead of like placing students based on those language needs, it seems to me like where they're being placed largely on where they live, which makes it difficult as an interpreter for me. And maybe Krista can speak to, to the difficulties of that as a teacher. As a teacher, I'm part of the IEP team for students, and it is the IEP team that determines placement of a student based on their needs. That's supposed to be the way the system works. However, for deaf and hard of hearing students, it is very tricky to figure out what exactly their needs are um, because so much of school is language-based, so much of relating to other people is language-based, and that, that's the deficit area for our students. Um, so we try to place students based on uh, you know, their academic skills and needs, but also their language modality and language needs. And it seems like in the past, there was some confusion or, or some conflating of the two. I had a student in the past who um, was really intellectually high functioning, but parents are deaf. He's deaf. So like his English language was considered to be low. He was a low reader and writer, but incredibly smart kid. Uh, he exhibited a lot of behavior issues because he was at an oral school and he signs at home and he needed that communication at school as well. And so he would become very frustrated uh, because he was misunderstanding or being misunderstood. And so it was determined by the IEP team that he needed to go to a school with more signing people. So we sent him there. And that school at his next IEP meeting said, why did you send him here? He's too smart to be at this school with the signing students. And that kind of broke my heart because there are certainly a lot of deaf individuals who sign, who do not speak English, who are incredibly smart and very talented. So we, we, we try to place students at schools based on what they need academically what, and what language would best suit them. In the past, we've had a lot of schools who are, who are labeled specifically oral schools. We do not allow ASL here. My school was one of those until um, pretty recently we we had changed hands. We had a different manager 
of the deaf and hard of hearing program district wide a couple of years ago. And she was really pushing for more of a total communication approach at all of the schools. She's no longer our manager, which is kind of a shame. I do miss her a lot, but. Um, In fact, we don't have a manager and haven't for almost a, over a year now. Almost oh, a year. wow. Basically what I'm hearing is I know that we, we place students off um, their ge- geographic location rather than their academic areas, but it also just shows you, but we have to also have to consider that a lot of parents, it's hard for them to travel far locations. And even so that may be a, a program that's suitable for them and it may be like 20 miles away. So this is why it's even more important to make sure that we have resources in every area of the school districts to meet the varying needs of our deaf and hard of hearing students. It shouldn't be that I have a high functioning or high learning or high academic deaf student, but they can only go somewhere on the north side and now I'm on the south side. That's not fair. They should be able to have teachers to meet their academic needs in every area. They don't have to travel or have to be bused so far. Um, just like I think about reg- you know, students who are not deaf or hard of hearing who feel they have to go to Walter Payton or Whitney Young or Northside College. They have to go all the way on the north side to go to a so-called decent school. And there should be decent academic schools in every area. And so this is a funding issue for all types of students. And so you should be able to have good schools in every neighborhood to meet the very needs of our students because we have over 300,000 students in the school district. And we know that if we serve in 300,000 students that they are going to have varying needs and every region should have enough services to accommodate all those students. Absolutely. And while we're talking about high schools too, um, I teach middle school. So my eighth graders are transitioning to high school and I, I write a transition plan and help them determine like what they want to do after high school and help them apply for high schools. And I have my own feelings about the high school application process. Um, but for my deaf students, of, of course, it's, it's even trickier because there are only five high schools in CPS that have DHH cluster programs. They're kind of stuck. Either they're going to walk away from a cluster program like they have had K through eight um, and kind of do school entirely differently for high school or they have to choose one of those five schools, you know, and, and I had a parent this year who was, who was really feeling limited in her choice of school because she knew she wanted her daughter to have all of the supports that are in her IEP. But she also knew that a majority of high schools in CPS could not provide those services and supports. And it's sad to hear that because we are the third largest school district in the nation, not in Illinois, not in the Midwest, but in the nation. And so you would think that um, we would promote that with more just um, promoting even high school students to go to college and um, be able to learn different languages, not just, you know, Spanish, French, but, you know, learn sign language. Um, So I'm just not seeing a lot of promotion of that. I'm not seeing even in high schools, you don't see um, that as a course or as an elective. You don't see sign language as that. And so I just feel like there needs to be just more. If we know that these are the needs of the students, we should look at it look and analyze the data. Since we like to analyze data at CPS, look at the student data, the student needs data, and see what type of educators we need and promote that. To my knowledge at CPS, and I could be wrong about this, but to my knowledge, there's only one high school that offers American Sign Language as a foreign language credit. It's a school that happens to have a deaf and hard of hearing program, and that's part of the reason why it's offered. And it's wonderful because then those we have hearing students within that school that can communicate with the deaf students and vice versa, um, and it makes for a nice 
culture there um, and a lot less isolation, but it would be nice if that was something that was, that was offered as a course at, at some of the other schools. I yeah, to my knowledge, there's only one that has like an official, this is a foreign language class and you get foreign language credit for taking American sign language. You know, I want to go back to something one of you said a minute ago is that ASL was not allowed at your school. Not only is it not offered, it's not allowed. Can you elaborate on that? This this one's new on me too. I think this is an idea born out of um, kind of antiquated understanding of language acquisition. There is no research to suggest that learning multiple languages will hinder your English language acquisition. However, that was taught as part of um, you know teacher preparation for deaf and hard of hearing students. And that's led to an entire school of thought called oralism. And that thought is that we should focus on speech production and articulation. And all of that is very beneficial to many students. And it does take a lot of time. It is completely appropriate support for some students. But for some reason, it was believed that signing in conjunction with learning speech and listening would be a distraction or a deterrent to speaking English. In some capacities, you still see it today. And it always blows my mind that like you see now, um, it's very popular for babies to learn sign language, hearing babies to learn sign language, right? With the whole like baby Einstein series. And the reason for that is because children can communicate with their hands, like physically before they're able to form words verbally. There are hearing parents that are teaching their hearing children these words. Meanwhile, there's this theory out there that like teaching that language to the, the children that actually need it is going to be detrimental somehow to their language development and acquisition. And so it starts very young. The whole issue starts, starts when these, when these children are very young and it's, it's a, it's a bigger issue than just, just education. Absolutely. And it leads to something called language deprivation, which is huge. And that is a cause for a lot of issues with behavior and relating to others. It is a disservice to children. And we could we could have a whole other podcast about yeah. language deprivation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should. Yeah, maybe we should. So you you all have stated so many things that the lack of funding and the lack of enough teachers and schools that service our deaf and hard of hearing students and the impact that the negative impact that it has on them as well as their families. So what can we do to fix this? How can we remedy this? And who I mean by we, I'm thinking of as a teacher's union, me as an individual, a parent, a teacher, a community member, what can be done to help remedy this plaguing problem? I think that the number one thing that really boils down to is staffing. And we hear, I know that like in CPS, we hear that all the time, like adequate staffing, but you know, you're talking about a system that's trying to kind of pigeonhole kids into you're going to learn orally, you're going to learn with sign language. And if we could provide all of the services that they need, as is written in their IEP by a team of people that have assessed what's best for them, then we would be sending more, more sign language interpreters, more teachers at the deaf, more social workers, more audiology services, more, you know, speech and language pathology services. It would be this whole encompassing kind of education that our kids aren't getting right now because they're kind of being, like I said, pigeonholed into like, you're going to learn this way and you're going to learn this way when we know that the best approach is to learn all the ways, right? Absolutely. Along with staffing, collaboration among everyone involved in this child's life from the point that they are identified as deaf or having a hearing loss. 
that includes doctors, psychologists, audiologists, and parents, and neighborhood teachers, because teachers aren't included until that child's enrolled in school. However, a teacher of the deaf would be the one to provide that, you know, social emotional piece and, and that connection to deaf culture. Additionally, we all as a society could do a little bit more to connect to deaf culture and the deaf community um, to kind of unlearn our own ableism and our own um, ideas of how deaf people experience our world and just kind of work to relieve some of those barriers for them. I don't know if you've heard in the news, but CPS has been generously given, I guess, by a federal government, $1.8 billion. Wow, a lot of money. That buys Andrea a lot of earrings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so CPS always wants to claim they don't have money to do this. They can't afford to do that. Well, they can't claim that anymore. That's a lot of money, even for CPS. What would be most effective use of money and funding if you could control this money? How could we be using it to help the deaf and hard of hearing community? <laughs> it's a lot of money to think about using. I don't. You don't have to use all of it. So one billion billion of it, just a billion. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've always really wished for for our students is um, having deaf mentors. Um, so we talked about a lot at the beginning about how um, there's sometimes some barriers to language at home for a variety of different reasons, um, but it's really important for students to see an adult that is like them that is successful so that they have something to, they have a role model. They have something to like, to, to guide, like I can do this. Yes. I have this, you know, I, I am deaf and I, I you know, I, I communicate differently than other people, but there are people that are like me that are out there that are being successful. And to have that for deaf and hard of hearing students that, because like Krista said, most deaf students are born to hearing families. They don't often see that that piece. And so to be able to like, maybe, I don't even, I don't know, like hire some deaf role models to come in and like work with the students or, or, you know, be with them. And even, even in the community, having, having more kind of community events and access to that sort of mentorship, I think would be amazing for a lot of our students. Absolutely. I agree. And I, I think staffing is huge. I would love to see more counselors um, for our students with hearing loss, because the identity piece is so huge for them. I know at the middle school level, middle schoolers are struggling with their identity in the first place, right? And I have so many students who are rejecting their hearing aids or refusing to sign because they're afraid that it's going to make them look different and make them a target for bullying. Um, and so I would love to see more counselors to help you know, smooth that over and create a school culture that's accepting and loving of our deaf students. Um, and then, you know, if we could get any deaf individuals in any positions at these schools, it would be fantastic because they're out there and they're looking for jobs and they can be clerks and they can be teachers and Sikas and anything that you can think of, they can do it. And I don't know any deaf adults working in CPS. There's a few. I think we have a clerk, a clerk and, a, and a security guard at my school, but it's not a lot in CPS. There's a few Sikas that I'm aware of as well, but um, there could be more. And, and that speaks to the piece of, of having role models as well, because then you have students that are seeing adults that are like them working in the school and being around them and, and being a role model for them. And like, I can do that too. You know, that's, that's important is to have staff that, that is similar to what, to what our students are experiencing and, and went through those things as well. Well, thank you so much. You want to be at the next school board meeting and every school board meeting after that, because th those are some excellent ideas. 
And I would hate for you all to say these ideas in vain. They need to be carried out. I never thought about CPS having employees that are deaf. I think that'll be very beneficial to students. And uh, I don't know if they're like after school clubs or just regional clubs for the deaf where they can be able to connect more with one another. But I just think these are some great ideas. And I just hate that they're not getting um, the full, uh, well-rounded, comprehensive services that they need. So thank you for this. And I just, again, hope that you all continue to advocate and hopefully we can do a follow-up show to see if there has been any change. And I hope so. Because we are CTU and our podcast, we definitely bring about change. So people who are going to hear this are going to be upset and are going to fight. And before you go, I have to say (laughs) that I found out right before the show that Kelsey is a listener to CTU Speaks. And I am. This is great. So we've got one of our fans out there that's on the show, (laughs) contributing to the show. This is what we're looking for, for people out there listening. If you've got an issue, you've got something that you want to talk about on the show, please contact us and let us know. And you can be just like Kelsey and be on our program. (laughs) That's right. So thank you, Kelsey and Krista, for coming. Uh, We really appreciate you. And um, I know that this issue will go out to the masses. And I I know that we're going to be just better advocates for our deaf and hard of hearing students, because that's what we're here for. We're here to service all of our students and all of our students are worthy of the best education possible. Thank you all. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of CTU Speaks. Please feel free to listen to us anytime on any podcasting mm-hmm. platform. And Jim's going to tell you some other ways to reach us as well. You can also email us at CTU Speaks at ctulocal1.org, or you can give us a phone call at 312-467-8888. And until next time, this is Jim Staros and, and Dr. Andrea Parker. At CTU Speaks, where we only speak what matters. Bye-bye. Bye.